Section 4 of The Coming Race. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Mary Rohde. The Coming Race by Edward George Bulwer Lytton. Chapter 7 A room to myself was assigned to me in this vast edifice. It was prettily and fantastically arranged, but without any of the splendor of metalwork or gems which was displayed in the more public apartments. The walls were hung with a variegated matting made from the stalks and fibers of plants, and the floor carpeted with the same. The bed was without curtains, its supports of iron resting on balls of crystal, the coverings of a thin white substance resembling cotton. There were sundry shelves containing books. A curtained recess communicated with an aviary filled with singing birds, of which I did not recognize one resembling those I have seen on earth, except a beautiful species of dove, though this was distinguished from our doves by a tall crest of bluish plumes. All these birds had been trained to sing in artful tunes, and greatly exceeded the skill of our piping bullfinches, which can rarely achieve more than two tunes, and cannot, I believe, sing those in concert. One might have supposed oneself at an opera in listening to the voices in my aviary. There were duets and trios, and quartets and choruses, all arranged as in one piece of music. Did I want silence from the birds? I had but to draw a curtain over the aviary, and their song hushed as they found themselves left in the dark. Another opening formed a window, not glazed, but on touching a spring a shutter ascended from the floor, formed of some substance less transparent than glass, but still sufficiently pellucid to allow a softened view of the scene without. To this window was attached a balcony, or rather hanging garden, wherein grew many graceful plants and brilliant flowers. The apartment and its appurtenances had thus a character, if strange in detail, still familiar as a whole to modern notions of luxury, and would have excited admiration if found attached to the apartments of an English duchess or a fashionable French author. Before I arrived, this was Z's chamber. She had hospitably assigned it to me. Some hours after the waking up which is described in my last chapter, I was lying alone on my couch, trying to fix my thoughts on conjecture as to the nature and genus of the people amongst whom I was thrown, when my host and his daughter Z entered the room. My host, still speaking my native language, inquired with much politeness whether it would be agreeable to me to converse, or if I preferred solitude. I replied that I should feel much honored and obliged by the opportunity offered me to express my gratitude for the hospitality and civilities I had received in a country to which I was a stranger, and to learn enough of its customs and manners not to offend through ignorance. 
As I spoke, I had of course risen from my couch. But Z, much to my confusion, curtly ordered me to lie down again, and there was something in her voice and eye, gentle as both were, that compelled my obedience. She then seated herself unconcernedly at the foot of my bed, while her father took his place on a divan a few feet distant. "'But what part of the world do you come from?' asked my host, "'that we should appear so strange to you and you to us. I have seen individual specimens of nearly all the races differing from our own, except the primeval savages who dwell in the most desolate and remote recesses of uncultivated nature.' unacquainted with other light than that they obtain from volcanic fires, and contented to grope their way in the dark, as do many creeping, crawling, and flying things. But certainly you cannot be a member of those barbarous tribes, nor, on the other hand, do you seem to belong to any civilized people. I was somewhat nettled at this last observation, and replied that I had the honor to belong to one of the most civilized nations of the earth, and that, so far as light was concerned, while I admired the ingenuity and disregard of expense with which my host and his fellow-citizens had contrived to illumine the regions unpenetrated by the rays of the sun, yet I could not conceive how any who had once beheld the orbs of heaven could compare to their lustre the artificial lights invented by the necessities of man. But my host said he had seen specimens of most of the races differing from his own, save the wretched barbarians he had mentioned. Now, was it possible that he had never been on the surface of the earth, or could he only be referring to communities buried within its entrails? My host was for some moments silent. His countenance showed a degree of surprise which the people of that race very rarely manifest under any circumstances howsoever extraordinary. But Z was more intelligent and exclaimed, So you see, my father, that there is truth in the old tradition. There always is truth in every tradition commonly believed in all times and by all tribes. Z, said my host mildly, you belong to the College of Sages, and ought to be wiser than I am. But as chief of the light-preserving council, it is my duty to take nothing for granted till it is proved to the evidence of my own senses." Then, turning to me, he asked me several questions about the surface of the earth and the heavenly bodies, upon which, though I answered him to the best of my knowledge, my answers seemed not to satisfy nor convince him. He shook his head quietly, and changing the subject rather abruptly, asked how I had come down from what he was pleased to call one world to the other. I answered that under the surface of the earth there were mines containing minerals, or metals, essential to our wants and our progress in all arts and industries, and I then briefly explained the manner in which, while exploring one of those mines, I and my ill-fated friend had obtained a glimpse of the regions into which we had descended, and how the descent had cost him his life. 
appealing to the rope and grappling-hooks that the child had brought to the house in which I had been at first received, as a witness of the truthfulness of my story. My host then proceeded to question me as to the habits and modes of life among the races on the upper earth, more especially among those considered to be the most advanced in that civilization which he was pleased to define the art of diffusing throughout a community the tranquil happiness which belongs to a virtuous and well-ordered household naturally desiring to represent in the most favorable colors the world from which i came i touched but slightly though indulgently on the antiquated and decaying institutions of europe in order to expatiate on the present grandeur and perspective pre-eminence of that glorious american republic in which europe enviously seeks its model and tremblingly foresees its doom selecting for an example of the social life of the united states that city in which progress advances at the fastest rate i indulged in an animated description of the moral habits of new york mortified to see by the faces of my listeners that i did not make the favorable impression i had anticipated i elevated my theme dwelling on the excellence of democratic institutions their promotion of tranquil happiness by the government of party and the mode in which they diffused such happiness throughout the community by preferring for the exercise of power and the acquisition of honors the lowliest citizens in point of property education and character fortunately recollecting the peroration of a speech on the purifying influences of american democracy and their destined spread over the world made by a certain eloquent senator for whose vote in the senate a railway company to which my two brothers belonged had just paid twenty thousand dollars i wound up by repeating its glowing predictions of the magnificent future that smiled upon mankind when the flag of freedom should float over an entire continent and two hundred millions of intelligent citizens accustomed from infancy to the daily use of revolvers should apply to a cowering universe the doctrine of the patriot monroe when i had concluded my host gently shook his head and fell into a musing study making a sign to me and his daughter to remain silent while he reflected and after a time he said in a very earnest and solemn tone if you think as you say that you though a stranger have received kindness at the hands of me and mine i adjure you to reveal nothing to any other of our people respecting the world from which you came unless on consideration i give you permission to do so do you consent to this request of course i pledge my word to it said i somewhat amazed and i extended my right hand to grasp his but he placed my hand gently on his forehead and his own right hand on my breast which is the custom amongst this race in all matters of promise or verbal obligations then turning to his daughter he said 
and you z will not repeat to any one what the stranger has said or may say to me or to you of a world other than our own z rose and kissed her father on the temple saying with a smile a geese tongue is wanton but love can fetter it fast and if my father you fear lest a chance word from me or yourself could expose our community to danger by a desire to explore a world beyond us will not a wave of the vril properly impelled wash even the memory of what we have heard the stranger say out of the tablets of the brain what is the vril i asked Therewith Z began to enter into an explanation of which I understood very little, for there is no word in any language I know which is an exact synonym for vril. I should call it electricity, except that it comprehends in its manifold branches other forces of nature, to which in our scientific nomenclature differing names are assigned such as magnetism galvanism etc these people consider that in vril they have arrived at the unity in natural energetic agencies which has been conjectured by many philosophers above ground and which faraday thus intimates under the more cautious term of correlation i have long held an opinion says that illustrious experimentalist almost amounting to a conviction, in common, I believe, with many other lovers of natural knowledge, that the various forms under which the forces of matter are made manifest have one common origin, or, in other words, are so directly related and mutually dependent that they are convertible, as it were, into one another, and possess equivalents of power in their action. These subterranean philosophers assert that by one operation of vril, which Faraday would perhaps call atmospheric magnetism, they can influence the variations of temperature, in plain words, the weather, that by operations akin to those ascribed in mesmerism, electrobiology, odic force, etc., but applied scientifically through vril conductors, they can exercise influence over minds and bodies, animal and vegetable, to an extent not surpassed in the romances of our mystics. To all such agencies they give the common name of Vril. Z asked me if, in my world, it was not known that all the faculties of the mind could be quickened to a degree unknown in the waking state by trance or vision in which the thoughts of one brain could be transmitted to another, and knowledge be thus rapidly interchanged. I replied that there were amongst us stories told of such trance or vision, and that I had heard much and seen something in mesmeric clairvoyance, but that these practices had fallen much into disuse or contempt, partly because of the gross impostures to which they had been made subservient, and partly because, even where the effects upon certain abnormal constitutions were genuinely produced, the effects, when fairly examined and analyzed, were very unsatisfactory, 
not to be relied upon for any systematic truthfulness or any practical purpose and rendered very mischievous to credulous persons by the superstitions they tended to produce z received my answers with much benignant attention and said that similar instances of abuse and credulity had been familiar to their own scientific experience in the infancy of their knowledge and while the properties of ril were misapprehended but that she reserved further discussion on this subject till i was more fitted to enter into it she contented herself with adding that it was through the agency of ril while i had been placed in the state of trance that i had been made acquainted with the rudiments of their language and that she and her father who alone of the family took the pains to watch the experiment had acquired a greater proportionate knowledge of my language than i of their own partly because my language was much simpler than theirs comprising far less of complex ideas and partly because their organization was by hereditary culture much more ductile and more readily capable of acquiring knowledge than mine at this i secretly demurred and having had in the course of a practical life to sharpen my wits whether at home or in travel i could not allow that my cerebral organization could possibly be duller than that of people who had lived all their lives by lamplight however while i was thus thinking z quietly pointed her forefinger at my forehead and sent me to sleep chapter eight when i once more awoke i saw by my bedside the child who had brought the rope and grappling hooks to the house in which i had been first received and which as i afterwards learned was the residence of the chief magistrate of the tribe the child whose name was tai was the magistrate's eldest son i found that during my last sleep or trance i had made still greater advance in the language of the country and could converse with comparative ease and fluency this child was singularly handsome even for the beautiful race to which he belonged with a countenance very manly in aspect for his years and with a more vivacious and energetic expression than i had hitherto seen in the serene and passionless faces of the men he brought me the tablet on which i had drawn the mode of my descent and had also sketched the head of the horrible reptile that had scared me from my friend's corpse pointing to that part of the drawing tai put to me a few questions respecting the size and form of the monster and the cave or chasm from which it had emerged his interest in my answer seemed so grave as to divert him for a while from any curiosity as to myself or my antecedents but to my great embarrassment seeing how i was pledged to my host he was just beginning to ask me where i came from when z fortunately entered and overhearing him said tai give to our guest any information he may desire but ask none from him in return to question him who he is whence he comes or wherefore he is here would be a breach of the law which my father has laid down in this house 
"'So be it,' said Tai, pressing his hand to his breast. And from that moment, till the one in which I saw him last, this child, with whom I became very intimate, never once put to me any of the questions thus interdicted. End of chapter 8